You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast for September 2022. I myself am pretty much recovered from the TCT 2022 meeting in Boston, but I am not sure my guests this month would say the same thing. Joining me today are Juan Granada and Ajay Curtinay, both program directors for this year's meeting. I caught up with them one week after TCT wrapped up to hear some of their highlights from the meeting. Let's jump in. First of all, thank you both for joining me on the podcast. I know talking to both of you before the meeting, you were talking about all the things that were going to look and feel different at this year's TCT. In the end, looking back, do you feel that it had a kind of different atmosphere? I can see you nodding, Ajay. Tell me, how how different was this for you? Was it you know, familiar but different or just completely off the charts? Oh, a little bit of everything. I, I think that what was familiar was that um, we all know what meetings feel like. And certainly I've been doing that since I first was a fellow. And uh, we kind of went away from that. It never really felt like a real meeting um, and up until this one in, in many respects for me. I think last year's was still good, but just having the ability to like freely, you know, network with people and go out with people and have people truly enjoying themselves, no nervousness, no um, feeling of, you know, where are my European colleagues, all of that. It was a big, big um, uh, difference. So it kind of felt jubilant that way. I, I think that from the standpoint of, of the things we were looking forward to most, they really had to do with the breadth of people that we could involve in the meeting. Um, we made a conscious effort to really widen the scope. And I do think we succeeded. There's obviously more work to do, but in many respects, there were a lot of new faces and I really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, I was gonna say like I was in, especially the main tent sessions, you know, the light breakers and those types of things. I, I was seeing people that I actually don't even know. And I know I've been, it's been a pandemic. I've been locked down for a while, but for me to learn some new faces, having seen many familiar ones for many years was noticeable, sure. I know Juan, you've been a big advocate of if innovation and research is going to progress at the pace that you'd like to see, you've always told me that you think it needs to be face-to-face. Did you see that happening? Were you able to have connections with people that you think will make a difference for that type of progress? Look, absolutely. I think for me, the uh, the biggest uh, takeaway is that uh, in-person meetings are very relevant. Uh, and, and you remember when we had this discussion about you know, digital formats, even before the pandemic, that we were going in a direction in which we wanted to strengthen our uh, digital platforms, which is something that actually still want to do. But one of the things is um, what, what happens um, at these meetings is really magical, you know, getting people together, you know, people that sometimes they know each other via digital uh, means, but they don't know each other personally protocols that essentially start getting developed because people get together in inventions that actually happen because, you know, people are inspired about the clinical needs. And, and that's why, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the opening video made a lot of emphasis on, on this is more than a meeting. And I really mean it because it's, it's not just the, uh, you know, a place to just go and listen to talks. It's a place to interact and actually uh, push the field forward. And this is how it felt actually this year for me. I'd like to talk about the things that people might actually take home and implement, whether that's in clinical care or whether it's in terms of the sort of research endeavors that they're involved in, clinical trials or earlier stage innovation. I, as I say, spent most of my time in those, the late breakers. Any of those, and we can start with you, Ajay, that you think will have an immediate impact on your practice or the practice of others? 
Well, I certainly know that uh, Protected Taver had people buzzing at a variety of places, coming back to their home institutions, trying to figure out how to fit this into um, what they do, because it was a kind of mixed message. It wasn't a stone cold positive win. On the other hand, there are signals there that suggest that, yeah, you have to treat a lot of people, but you might be able to prevent some disabling events. So how do you work that with your current workflow? How do you work that with um, costs at your institutions? I know people were doing that, and I'm sure it was around the US, certainly probably around the world too. Um, so that's one for, for me personally, because uh, I'm in the hypertension space. Uh, renal denervation is a, a big deal. There's a late-breaking trial of the AHA, so I, I'll be involved in that. And just a variety of other smaller trials just get you thinking. There was a trial of lipid-lowering therapy, PCSK9s, and STEMI. That's the beauty of clinical science is that it's not so much what's being presented. It's the ideas that that generates and sparks for future trials going forward. Um, and that's kind of why, why we always feel that that's a great part of what we do. Protect Tavern is a great example of what it's like to watch it in the session rather than on screen because I was amazed that for a trial that missed its primary endpoint, I mean, people were being so positive about it and you, you could look around and then there were others saying like, didn't I just see that miss its primary endpoint? So as much as the findings themselves are interesting, honestly, the reaction to them is almost as fascinating because it does show you that people take from these things what they want to take. I mean, it literally did not show a benefit and yet you even use the phrasing, it wasn't completely positive. So it does matter to have reaction. And then the panel discussion was always, it always is interesting, but actually seeing the way they, they physically are reacting to other people's comments is really interesting. Juan, any for you that you'd uh, wanna highlight? In terms of late-breaking clinical trials? Actually anything, because I know you were really involved in the innovation program and we had those innovation so, um, early yeah, results so, too. So, so one, one thing that was interesting to me, and um, I'm sorry just to go the philosophical uh, way again and not being very granular, is that the innovation forum, one thing that was interesting to me is that, um, you know, that our field has always been very, you know, device-centric, right? Very technological you know, driven. And uh, it's interesting to see that uh, after the pandemic, a lot of the questions were related to relevance. Uh, for example, there was um, a session on um, uh, structural heart disease. And, and the biggest question was, you know, about natural history of disease, about what patients actually are going to benefit the most, about what populations actually could really, you know, benefit from the technology that we are, you know, developing. And, and how can we increase access to these uh, technologies to the patient? So for me, that was actually interesting is that finally we're asking the right questions. You know, before it was about, oh, you know, what is the best uh, clinical trial design to get this approved? And what is the next iteration of the technology? And, and uh, the discussion at the innovation forum in every single session was about relevance. You know, how can we help more people? How can we get more access? How can we improve the identification of the patients that can benefit from the technologies? And, and that was, for me, very exciting. The most exciting session, for example, the Navy Innovation Forum was innovation priorities and how healthcare is changing and how the uh, disease patterns are changing and how can we make an impact in the population at large. And that was very impactful uh, for me. Yeah, so this is actually should be our mission, you know. Right. I was going to say the talk by um, FDA Commissioner Rob Califf when he's talking about how exactly. these incredible ideas are coming out of 
Western countries, North America, but the U.S. specifically is doing this incredible stuff. And yet healthcare is worse there than in many parts of the world. And trying to rope those two together again and figure out how to bring all this creativity to actually help the right people. It's, it's a huge task to undertake, but also pretty fascinating from a journalistic perspective, I'm sure from your perspective as well. Other changes to it, I really noticed the the feel of the space itself. Now, is that something you guys want to continue? But it was this enormous room of different things going on. And I know there's sort of issues around how do you control sound and those types of things. But I mean, maybe it's coming out of the pandemic, but I kind of liked it. It was just this huge, it <laughs> felt like an uh, airplane hangar with tons going on that was interesting. So I don't know, is that something you'd do again? You know, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was great. I do think it was a little distracting when I was giving a talk for late breaking trial. I usually have a focal point that I, that I concentrate on. And this was at the way end of the arena. So it was a little harder. But um, I think people generally like the fact that, you know, you could go and see and do other things. The only people I heard a, a specific group that I'll single out that thought it was too distracting were the CTO operators. But I always gave it back to them and said, they're so focused on a single case for so long that it's hard for them to be distracted, whereas everybody else seemed to be okay with it. Um, so tweaking oh, needs yeah. to be done, but that feel was nice. And I think that it just sort of really facilitated the networking part of it and just seeing everybody out there. And I, I thought it was great. And people stayed to the end too. I don't know um, if you walked around yeah. on Monday, but I thought Monday would be, you know, a wasteland up front. And there were a lot of people there um, even till the very end, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. Um, I wanted to talk about live cases because that's one of the things that you guys tweet. I've written stories for years about how do you balance the excitement of a live case with the fact that it gets a little bogged down um, sometimes, or you don't want to distract the operators with chit chat, but how do you feel about that format? As I understand it, they were live cases and that they were live with virtual discussants recorded yeah. and then presented live. One of the things is that, you know, we have to to understand there are different levels of, of uh, live cases, right? You know, one are, you know, using technologies that are still under investigation. Yeah. Uh, there are actually some uh, in which um, there are actually highly regulated technologies and actually some that are clinical cases that are using technologies that are completely, you know, approved and actually used in a lot of patients. And one of the things is, you know, some of the more innovative uh, technologies are technologies that are better to be pre-recorded. One of the reasons is because there is zero distraction for the operators. They can concentrate in the case and do what actually they feel is best. And then you actually show what, what, what the highlights of the case actually are. So I really think there is room for, for every single format. Um, I have to say that it's actually interesting because it is more difficult, more challenging and uh, in a way more expensive to do pre-recorded cases. People actually feel that doing pre-recorded cases is kind of a way to actually get things done in an easy way. It's actually more complex from every single angle. It would be easier just to go live to the case, whatever it is, and then you're done. But the pre-recorded cases actually bring a flavor or a different aspect of the live case that otherwise would be challenging to do in a live, live format. I don't know if you noticed, but over the last three years, we've done actually more investigational devices uh, and actually technologies that three, four or five years ago, we, we wouldn't have done in, in PCT that we ever actually had before. 
Well, it's the, it's the novelty of having people overseas that have access to these things. People can see them yeah. being used in a way that wouldn't necessarily be, you know, they can't in their home country and may never get, you know, in some cases, perhaps. Sorry, Ajay, you were going to jump in there. No, I, I fully agree with Juan. So this year it was a mix of some of those. It was a mix of, of live, live. And we also had a format where some of the pre-recorded cases could then be commented on by the panel that was live. Um, so all of this is a work in progress and, and tweaking it, but I do think that for the novel concepts that are not, even in FDA studies, you have to get FDA approval to show uh, studies in a trial, certain trials, for instance. Okay. And so exactly. to do that would be to do it outside the United States in either a live or a pre-recorded format that way. So we always, one cool thing about this meeting is that we always reflect back on it. We have a debrief tomorrow. We have a debrief a little bit later. We start working on the next meeting early um, so as to try to get it better. And we certainly recognize things that didn't work and try to fix those and then experiment in other ways as well. Yeah, I mean, the one the one that I'm thinking of that I think you'll be discussing is the case where there was a, a talk given by Souk Niger about when not to stent, essentially, like how to use um, intravascular imaging to make decisions about that. But then because the case wasn't live, it was pre-recorded, they went on to do a case in which they broke some of his sort of suggested rules. And you know that's that's decision operator decision making. I, I understand that, but it left the the panel in a position of not being able to communicate with that operator about the case. And having watched quite a lot of live cases in the past and had my mind blown by them, this I could tell was an interesting situation where the the panel wanted to be involved in that case and and make their recommendations. You know, and they were suggesting, is this even a case for stenting? Should it be surgical? Should it be medically managed? And it did lack that dynamic of yeah. let's talk this through on the flip side people said that the case clicked along faster because you could edit out the parts that wouldn't be interesting to an audience so i don't know how do you handle that well you can only get better i think and, and the other part too is that it is nice to see some variety too if you over scripted um and there are definitely meetings that have tried that format as well it almost looks like a, just a process thing that you're getting and sometimes people like that variability in thought. I can tell you that I'm sure, and Suk is a phenomenal speaker and a friend, but I'm sure that there were people who were watching his talk who felt, well, maybe that's a little bit too proscriptive. Maybe mm -hmm. there are other scenarios where we might consider other things. And so sometimes the juxtaposition of those things, that's why people like debates, for instance, help yeah. in many ways. So we'll, we'll go back and look and, at all of them. We actually review all the cases um, and then make tweaks going forward. And, and still, the reality is that people like a more prescriptive approach in which you actually go to a case and you get what you want and you go home and actually learn something that is, that things are not quite like that, you know? And sometimes guidelines do not apply to clinical environments in which are very challenging and have a lot of gray zones in it. Yeah. And um, as Ajay is saying, I think there's a room for improvement, especially in the way you discuss cases, but sometimes even... Um, uh, when you do a case, you know, you leave the case essentially with a lot of questions, you know, in, in your mind. I don't know if you remember, uh, we did a, I moderated a live case, a case, a lampoon case, a reverse lampoon case, in which at the end, David Adams actually said, as a surgeon, I don't know if I would have split the anterior leaflet in this patient. So, so still, you know, guidelines and approaches and, and decision-making process is not linear, you know, and this is the beauty of the live cases. Yeah. I did speak with Sue Niger afterwards. He's like, look, I don't know enough about the patient. I couldn't make the call. I can't apply my talk exactly. to that patient. But it was exactly. the juxtaposition of his 
what he chose to talk about, and then the case that followed. You, it's more that you could sense the disconnect that I don't think you'd get if you had the operators aware in some ways. But my feeling is that that led to a really interesting discussion. People were talking about that case perhaps more than they would have had there exactly. not been some debate about it. Um, but, you know, hats off to you guys. I, I know other meetings have struggled with the best way to deliver live cases. And for me, it's just interesting to see that it's something that is actively being worked on. It's something, you know, there is a real live patient there and getting the care to that patient at the same time that you're educating people, you know, kudos to you. I, I can't imagine making some of those decisions. I think, you know, everyone's excited to get back to these meetings face to face. This was the first one for TCT that didn't offer that much in the way of virtual. It wasn't a hybrid meeting. It really, you really had to be there to feel it. Heaven forbid the pandemic turns around on us again. But do you feel that there's any way to step backwards towards what you were doing in the past? I mean, I want to go to TCT next year in San Francisco, so I want it to take place in person. But what are the lessons from having pulled off this meeting in Boston? I mean, look, the, the, the first thing that I would say is, uh, and as AJ said, we're always trying to innovate. Uh, you know, we, we learn from what we do and try to create a, a better program every single year. But one of the things that, uh, that for me perhaps was the most uh, important lesson is going out of this pandemic uh, and seeing multiple organizations, multiple people involved at TCT in multiple levels, you know, gave, at least for me, like the first time, uh, this sense of unity and globality. And, and, and you could see it in every single theater, in every single place, you know, people really taking ownership of the meeting. That was actually a beautiful thing for, for, for me and for us to see. Seeing multiple organizations that at some point were thought to be competitors, you know, working together to, you know, educate the public, educate physicians. It was an amazing thing, um, you know, for me. I think the biggest lesson is, look, we, we have a purpose, right? That is, you know, educating people to take care of patients. And um, I really think that this goal right now is more challenging than ever for many reasons, you know, for all the restrictions, social, political, and financial restrictions we have. And, and for me, the most important thing is we have a big goal to achieve and no single organization can really do this alone. So it is time to actually, you know, leave all the egos and things behind and actually work together to just create a better environment for the fellows and new generation of physicians that really want to get trained and want to learn how to do procedures and take care of patients. And that's what we saw at TCT today it was not a, a few people's meeting. And I would say it's not a director's meeting. It was everybody's meeting. Everybody enjoyed it. Everybody, everybody from different countries, regions, organizations. And, yeah. and that was for me a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, two things there, because we didn't go back to that. But you guys told me before the meeting that the CRF uh, program directors were not going to be chairing those big sessions. And it, it had a very different feel, and I would say a positive feel. Yeah. And I, when I say there were unfamiliar faces, there was also unfamiliar types of discussion. And and I'm not a physician, but I appreciated that. And I know that would have been a lot of back um, chatter about how that came about. So impressive. And also just listening to you speak, Juan, it reminds me, I was going to ask about the partnership with the AHA because that was announced a couple of weeks before the meeting. And it for me, was so great to see some of the AHA leadership there. It, it did bring a different kind of perspective. It allowed um, journalists to ask those guys questions about things in a way that we don't usually get to do in person. But more along the same lines, this isn't it for TCT because actually you'll now have some sessions at AHA in November, correct? 
Yeah, we're actively right now. And I, I will show that I agree with you completely in the sense that um, having excitement with folks that are not normally at an interventional meeting uh, was so nice to see because we're in our own world. But honestly, like, I don't know, my, my kids keep me honest. I go home and they're like, you're just a dad. You're not a doctor. And the same thing is true with interventional cardiology. You're, you're, you may be in your silo, but you need to be able to be a smart sensitive and engaged physician within the world of cardiology as a whole. And having the AHA folks super engaged, the session I was involved in was probably one of the best sessions I've ever been at. Yeah. And it was awesome. So that I, aspect of it, the ACC was excited. Sky was excited. The PCR folks were excited. I, I think that inclusiveness that Juan spoke about is not just words. It actually was, was born out through some of the actions that were delivered. Yeah. And I looked at one thing that happened with the AHA that I thought it was important. We had three very important and impactful guidelines uh, sessions that we call clinical, best clinical practices. This is extremely important because again, in an area that is being, or a field that is being technologically driven, you know, to bring uh, guidelines to the table and essentially say, this is how you should really use a device. I really think it's meaningful. I really think it's a big deal. Yeah. I really like that kind of crosstalk. It's always interesting and in, in, we do it with our news coverage, but it's palpable when you notice a kind of way out there perspective coming in that's probably still relevant to patient care, but that certainly if we're focused on a specific topic can be forgotten. Many more things I could ask you about, but I'm going to let you get back to your busy evenings and, and a big thank you for making time to look back on this while it's still fresh in your minds. Thank you both. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That is it for the September 2022 edition of Heart Sounds. I hope you were following along with TCTMD's coverage of the meeting. If you have not already subscribed to our newsletter, I hope you'll think of doing so. You can do that at the bottom of our homepage, tctmd.com. You will never miss out on anything exciting in cardiology ever again. I want to express my huge thanks to the reporters in my group, Todd Neal, Caitlin Cox, Laura McEwen, Yael Maxwell, and Michael O'Riordan, to the multimedia team for their help with our videos and podcasts, including this one, to Mama Samas, our senior clinical editor, and to Stephanie Gutch for her staunch support of our work. Please check out all of our coverage of TCT 2022 under the conference tab at tctmd.com. If you've got any feedback on our coverage or any story tips, just drop me a line. You can find my email in the bio on the website or find me via Twitter at ShellyWood2. Thanks for tuning into Heart Sounds. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.